Welcome to Spirit of the Midwest, a show featuring interviews and stories that expose the deep values and pride found in the heart of America. My name is C.K. Hicks, and I'm here today with my co-host, Wesley Noble. And we are here today with Danielle Evans. Uh, Danielle is a food typography typographer, uh, meaning that she actually gets to play with food for a living. I mean, how cool is that? Super excited to have you, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> super excited to talk with you. Um, a good, like, kind of starting out question is just kind of your story and how how you got started. Uh, maybe even some of your background, like where you were born and how you got to where you are today. Oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. I know. <laughs> I was raised. No. <laughs> well, actually. Um, I was born in New Jersey, of all places, but I didn't stay there very long. I've spent almost my entire life in in Ohio. I was, I guess, raised is the right term in Steubenville, whose major export is like football and rape cases. Oh man, so that's <laughs> most unfortunate. But it's um this tiny little blue collar town that was um, a bustling steel town like the 40s, 50s, and sort of 60s until the industry started to tank and go overseas. Um, because of that, the town shrank quite a bit. So around middle school, I moved up to Canton, which their major export is also football. So <laughs> I'm noticing a pattern. Um, but I found that Canton is this really fascinating place. It's like this incubator for creative people and I don't know if it's because there's just enough snow that we don't know how to function. I don't know if there's, it's just a giant suburb, really, and so I, there's not much to do or be distracted by, so I wonder if that kind of fuels the creative process for people, but I mean, really, there is kind of where I started tapping into my interest in art, and I went to school out in Indiana, which, again, there was nothing there. It was basically a cornfield, a Walmart, and somehow they figured out um, how to grow a ghetto in the middle of nowhere. So, <laughs> I mean, there was nothing to, to do in this town except to really push myself and, and kind of fold into my studies. And I couldn't decide when I was in school exactly what I wanted to do. Like, I knew I was really attracted to drawing, and I had been for years, like, even as a little kid. And... In school, I, I found this conundrum where I was so attracted to the idea of telling stories and illustration, but I was also inexplicably drawn to design and order and, and type. I thought those things were magical, and I couldn't figure out how to marry them, and I felt like I never fully fit in either world, and I was just straddling these two borders, I guess. So I, I knuckled down, I graduated with an illustration degree, and I happened to graduate right into the middle of the housing market. So... Mm. It was nearly impossible the year before um, people started struggling to find work. And so everyone just went, well, hope this is over before you get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Good mm. luck. <laughs> and because of that, I ended, up, um, I ended up struggling a lot because I didn't know where exactly I fit. It was hard to articulate this to employers and I couldn't find work. So I worked in a restaurant and I worked in retail and I cried a lot and probably would have drank a lot if I could have afforded it, but I couldn't. So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just chocolate milk for me. But <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so I mean, this it's funny, like, I gave a talk recently in um, Memphis where I kind of rehashed my tale of woe, and it's funny when I look back on how embarrassingly 
raw and awful like my story is just with all the failures and ceasing to make certain connections um it's funny because that has really fueled my work and it has fueled how I've started doing this food typography thing essentially I turned to this idea because I didn't have the money for supplies and that had been a constant problem for me all the way through school I barely afforded to go to school and barely graduated because I still had outstanding bills my last mm. semester and so looking around and, and trying to figure out how to do work that I thought would be fascinating and interesting. I first of all realized that people wanted multi-century experiences with their work. And most designers strictly um, stay in the realm of visual appeal. But I noted that some of the particularly interesting ones um, really cared about touch and, and visual aesthetics or smell and visual aesthetics. In order to be somewhat competitive, my work needed to invoke something additionally. And so I started searching for what that was, and I was deeply inspired by um, the lookable wallpaper that was out at the time. I was inspired by this book of guidelines that had a, a weight in the spine. It won an FBO award um, hmm. because it had gravitas, like literal weight, <laughs> to this wow. book of ethics. It was so smart. And in searching for these things, I thought, like, I was articulating to a friend who's not creative um, traditionally what my work needed and I likened it to a cup of coffee and I told her that it was it was basically like drinking a cup of coffee where you have heat from the cup and you have smell and you have the texture of the milk or the foam and it's not just consuming a beverage you're having an experience and a well-rounded one and I wanted people to have that when they looked at my work yeah. and in that moment she was like well why don't you just do something out of coffee that sounds like a great idea clearly misunderstanding me, but I went, you know what, that's a really great idea. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, so that's kind of where it all started, and it, it became a way for me to pull away from the computer and to make very um, calculated decisions, but at the same time more impulsive. So I was following my intuition, and I think that was kind of the sweet spot that I needed to hit with my work. And people started really enjoying it, so I continued to make more and here I am a couple years later with a career and this is what I do. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I love the way you say the, your friend uh, was, was not creative traditionally because obviously, you know, all problem solving requires some amount of creativity, but there are some things that are just, you, you do them and you're like, wow, that person is so creative because like you, you know, you make, you take food and you make messages to people and, and it just, and that I, I love how that aspect of creativity just bubbles up out of kind of necessity. Like you're trying to figure out how to express yourself. You're trying to figure out how to bootstrap your, uh, you know, take, take the things that you're passionate about and do something with them. And so your friend goes, well, why don't you just do this? And it's like, oh, well, I guess I could do it that way. And then all of a sudden, you you know, like food typography is born. So I just, that's that's such a fascinating story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that story. Um, I really want to ask, though, what was it like? What did it feel like being in that point where you were working as a waitress and just trying to make ends meet and like scrimping stuff together, but you knew that you wanted to do something more? Oh, man, that was hard. It was really hard. Um, I remember feeling really low. Like I couldn't, I couldn't conceive of the fact that someone would ever want to hire me for what I went to school for. Like the reality of that kind of set in. Um, 
and I would get really frustrated because there's a there's a certain way that people treat other people in food service, mm-hmm. and they treat you like an idiot. <laughs> they act almost in some cases like you're a subhuman or you are a fixture in their day. And if you are not in that exact spot, being that exact fixture that they you know hope to see, then they question that. Yeah. And so it was hard looking at the people that I was surrounded by realizing that a lot of them were like me. They were educated individuals. They had bigger plans for their lives. They wanted to go somewhere else. And then there were people who didn't want any of those things. This was their career. And in some cases that was great. And in others, you were like, wow, this is really disappointing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. that part was very difficult. And I remember I had to work up, it took me three years to work up the courage to tell people that I did design at all. Um, And once I became comfortable with that, I told somebody every single day. And then I told every single person because I wanted I wanted a chance to get out of that life. But I mean, it's, it's fascinating because the things that I did, the working as a waitress, the working in retail, I sold shoes for DSW and I worked at the container store. Um, and I would say that the latter really enforced rules like selling. That was something that I hadn't really had a whole lot of experience doing. And I found that their technique for selling is very soft. They basically show people they suggest to people how their work or their products are valuable. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really been shown how to do that. I hadn't been shown how to like articulate to a stranger. This is something that I believe in and here's some way that it can benefit you. Hmm. And so while both of those, like all three of those experiences were very difficult for me, I can say I took something away from them and I took something, I took something helpful away from them that I still use today. So that's a, that's a Uh, cool concept. Yeah. Well, and one of, you know, one of the things that we talk about uh, when we're, when we're asking people like kind of their story or things that influence them is how would you describe or, or how has the Midwest influenced you? And it sounds like in this case, Mm -hmm. you know, because you grew up, like you said, in kind of a blue collar town, there was a lot of uh, just, uh, you know, you, you were kind of, you felt stuck in the food industry and, and, you know, the service industry. And so you get to a point where you're like, the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I start talking to people about what I would really like to do and seeing the people around you who, some of them just did not have a plan or didn't have anything they were really shooting for that really you, you kind of it sounds like you kind of looked at some of them and just went I don't want to do that I don't know exactly what I need to do yet but I know it's not this and so yes. I'm just going to tell everybody what I'm interested <laughs> in and someone will recommend something and then ultimately you had someone say well why don't you just use the coffee then you know and, and, <laughs> and, and then it was oh well sure that sounds well, I guess I could try that and then all of a sudden boom you have this uh, you know, you're, you're, you're creating messages through food. So that, <laughs> so did you actually, I, I'm dying to know, did you actually get your start, uh, in food typography, uh, with materials from your time at the diner or did you, did, was that something you started on your own kind of like in your kitchen? That was something I started on my own in my kitchen. It's funny, I had originally, when I went back and started looking through my work to show in a presentation, I realized that my first piece in which I had done this was actually with um, tape. It was um, measuring tape. And I had done it for a like my new portfolio once I had, once I had um, decided that, oh man, I want to focus on lettering. Lettering is really important to me. And so I remember doing it and going, this is awful, (laughs) gross, and I cast it aside. But 
four months later, when I had this conversation with my friend, I went, well, food makes a lot of sense to me for whatever reason, so let's go with that. So I, I chose materials out of my house because I thought, well, you know, things are pretty dire right now. If something should happen where I need to eat this later, I totally can and know the difference. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> but it was great. It was funny because um, apparently I don't do anything without a, a little bit of dramatic flair. <laughs> or just, I don't know, I, I must just go down in flames really <laughs> epically. <laughs> um, right before I decided to start doing this, it was actually about three years ago, around Christmas, I had been stiffed on a freelance job that I was trying to do. And I, like, that was all of our Christmas money. That was part of our rent. Like, mm. you know, we were we were in trouble. And so we, in talking with it, um, my husband, we decided that we weren't going to have Christmas that year, that we were just going to hang out. And I got really stressed out from knowing this and not being able to collect on my bill that I got this rash. Like, a, it was almost like an allergic reaction. And it creeped up my body. I couldn't oh, wow. sleep. I couldn't function. I couldn't get more work because I just couldn't speak to anybody I had an interview and I just remember blanking out in the middle of it and there were like 30 seconds of dead air oh, where I just couldn't think of words <laughs> I couldn't start phrases and I just remember being miserable and I tell people like most pathetically I was sitting in a bathtub covered in oatmeal trying to not be itchy <laughs> and my husband's sitting there and I'm just like tell me it's going to get better and he goes I think it will. Like, that's super confident of you. Tell me it's going to get better. Please mean it. And he's like, yeah. it will. I just can't tell you when. And mm. It was in that moment of despair when I went, you know, I really want to like, I, I want to do things that I'm proud of. And I want to mm. feel like I can do the work that I want to do. I hadn't felt since getting out of school or even in school really that I could ever do the work I thought was important or valuable. Mm. And, I was like, you know, this might not make me any money. Do I have permission to pursue this wholeheartedly? And he was like, as long as you're happier than you are right now, I don't <laughs> care what you do. <laughs> well, that's what a, I mean, what a blessing to have someone, you know, particularly a spouse, but people who would who would look at you and be like, you know what, you're going to make it. It's all right. I mean, I had to mm-hmm. I have to imagine that just made all the difference in the world. It really did. It's hard sometimes because when you're dealing with this on a daily basis, you you look at everything kind of unfolding before you and it's not coming together and it's it's despair inducing and it wrecks a person you know no one likes to be um failing on a daily basis and i think it's it's easy to get lost in that and allow it to paralyze you and i think that that's kind of where i was in this perpetual state of just despair and not being able to catch or continuing to spin my wheels and I think having someone looking outside of me going, you know what, you're all right, and you're going to be all right, and you're going to be more all right than you know, mm-hmm. um, that really, That's that fantastic. really, helped. and so when I can, I'm, I'm trying to like pay that forward to people because it's, it's hard, <laughs> it's really yeah. hard, and it just takes someone believing in you, you know? Yeah. So what then was the breakthrough for you? Um, oh my goodness, it's so funny because there was not like a a large breakthrough. There were a ton of small ones. Um, and I remember like, as I had these small paradigm shifts, I realized that I was moving towards something. I just didn't know what it was. Like months before my career technically started, I remember saying like, 
I have a feeling that this is something good is going to happen. And that was like the last possible step. Like I remember um, maybe the first one would be not comparing myself to other people. Mm -hmm. I remember that moment when I could suddenly feel excited for somebody who had something good happen in their life with their career. And I didn't feel like it was robbing me of anything. You know, I felt like they were on their journey and they were now steps into their journey and I could feel excited for them because I would not experience those same things. That was not my experience to have. Sure. Um, I think maybe after that feeling confident in my work, realizing that I was still growing and being okay with that and realizing that while I was exploring lettering, I didn't necessarily like my projects or I didn't necessarily feel like, um, I had executed them very well. And so I would resurrect old ones and try to try to jazz them up and make them look more appealing or appropriate to my sensibilities if the idea was still a good one. Um, and I realized that once I started doing that, I wanted to show my work. And so I started, I don't know, posting my URL, which can help a person get work occasionally, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I think finally the, the culmination of this moment for me was maybe realizing that my attitude directed much of my experience and realizing that, um, I could be really freaked out about this all the time, but clearly it got me nowhere being upset about it. And not sleeping obviously had not helped me either. Yeah, that, that does help. <laughs> yeah, so I think like just realizing that my attitude had to be one of openness and not expectation, but just the realization that if I continue to push through, something good is going to happen. And so starting to put my work online, which I hadn't felt comfortable really to do before, I started posting it regularly. And because it was so different, it was getting this really wonderful response, first on Dribble. Um, then on Twitter, on Tumblr, um, and I just started populating it across the web. And mm. people, other people that I didn't know who enjoyed what I was doing was enough to fuel me to go, you know what, this this has legs. Let's keep moving with it and let's keep experimenting. Yeah, It was exciting because in a lot of ways it became like a community idea where other people were feeding in like, oh, try this or do that. or <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was great. So, I mean, that started it. And the connection point I think was landing my first big client. So that was, that was exciting. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And so, you know, you mentioned the community aspect of it. And the first place that I learned about you actually was this last year at circles. Uh, and when you gave a presentation there, and then I see you're on the roster for next year also. So, uh, the, I mean, you obviously, you're a great speaker, but it was, it was amazing to see how the people reacted when you were showing examples of your work and you're telling oh, you know, yeah. little bits and pieces of your history and stuff. And everyone's going, Oh, that's so cool. You know, <laughs> getting it out in the open. It's amazing what that brings to the table. Yeah, it's true. It, like, um, I believe we had talked about, um, starting the conversation and how like, creativity and in making art you're kind of making a a visual marker to a certain chain of thought you know your your artwork is almost like a a snapshot Hmm. of a thought you were having at one moment and it's like a visual representation of that thought and so in order to add to the conversation the artwork that you make has to evolve and the artwork that people make similarly to yours has to evolve beyond your initial thought or it's an old thought and it's mm. not original anymore. And I think that like that aspect of like now there's almost this community movement in this idea is really empowering and humbling and just incredible to be perfectly honest. It's, I can't believe that people want this. I can't believe that it, 
you know, companies want work like this. I, it just, it's mind boggling to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. Um, you know, kind of moving on to a Midwest, more of a Midwest discussion. Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> how would you describe the Midwest to someone who has not been here? Oh, man. I, I love having this conversation with people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, That's why we picked you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, I've had this conversation most notably with Brandon Reich, another um, illustrator and designer from Columbus, where I currently live. And he, he and I have discussed, like, the Midwest is just right with this blue-collar mentality. Like, where I came from is very close to Pittsburgh, essentially. It's right on the cusp of three states, um, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and, and Ohio. Mm-hmm. And the immigrant population that had moved to those areas and started populating those areas is still fresh. Like, my grandfather came here from Italy. So like that attachment to the old world and old world ethic is still very strong. And I think you can almost see like these very obvious ethnic groups, um, kind of working hard together. A lot of them worked in steel mills or paper plants or things that were located on bodies of water and, and they worked long, hard days. And I think that while it may have distilled a little bit over time, um, or I'm sorry, um, dissipated a little bit over time mm-hmm. and that working hard digging in getting the job done is still very very apparent I've gone on shoots around the country and around the world and people have remarked saying like you know when we meet people from the Midwest we know because they know how to work huh. and they take pride in their work and I think there's this um, beautiful like industrial like post-industrial kind of mentality that still exists here and I think that's in part why we produce so many interesting artists and musicians and various people that that choose to do things because they they come from this part of the country where maybe like geographically there's not a lot of distraction or there's not a lot of like, mm-hmm. general interesting things going on and so they learn to cultivate themselves and mm-hmm. so there's there's a lack of pretense um, it's very honest yeah. and very open and I think being friendly and warm has just it in, dears us to other people from other places that aren't used to that so yeah well and i and i think part of your story where you're talking about the uh you know like we said earlier where you were in the diner and you're kind of thinking well what am i going to do to do the thing that i'm really trying to get to whatever that looks like whatever that is but your your result was well i just need to keep trying it i need to keep <laughs> going and keep doing you know and the midwest has this tradition of breeding sort of this hardiness in people yes and being able to say you know what yeah, maybe I don't have access to these other, uh, you know, things that would make this easier, or maybe I don't have the biggest crowd of crowd of people who think the exact same way that I do, or whatever. <laughs> but you know, but but darn it, I'm gonna try and and figure out what to do with this. And you just you have to, otherwise you just do the same thing forever. And so, uh, and you know, and there are people who get they find their one thing and and they can just do it peacefully because there's like you said, less distraction and. Uh, so I mean I think I think your story is a really great uh, sort of a an iconic uh, Midwest story because it's sort of the you know the, the girl who made good uh, <laughs> growing up in in the Midwest and and kind of feeling crushed under the the monotony or or even just the simplicity of it and you're saying I want to do something that's so close to this but it, it's not here so I gotta I gotta find it you know and you didn't travel to a far country and you know or whatever else you yeah. just you just 
got down and, and got to work and, and you took pride in it. So that's, that's just really, that's really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating idea. Um, I feel like also the Midwest is a place that people have beginnings. Most people that flock to the coast or just move somewhere else, like it's to start anew or to start fresh and they, they can be whoever that it is that they want to be mm-hmm. in that moment. Like traditionally people escape to the West, for example, in order to forget themselves or to start anew. And therefore they've bred this like rough and tumble kind of mentality. Um, but here it's, it's where people are comfortable having a story. And most people that come from here are happy carrying their beginnings to wherever it is that they go. That's, that's a great quote. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks. <laughs> 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 I was just listening to that. I'm like, that, that's fantastic. <laughs> Write that down. So, yeah, you know, I think, I think living in the Midwest makes you, can make you a better person if you choose to kind of rise above some of, some, if you choose to work hard and kind of rise above some of the stuff, um, some of the opportun- opportunities that aren't just handed to you in your lap. Um, but, I mean, we've kind of talked about it, but how would you say that the Midwest has made, has kind of shaped you? Oh, man. Well, it's funny. I've, I've lived across several states now. I also, I forgot to mention, I did a brief stint in Pittsburgh. Um, my parents are divorced. My dad lived out there for a long time. And so I would go out and, and live with him on occasion during the holidays and in the summertime and things like that. So I've spent, I've spent quite a bit of my life between Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Indiana for school. Um, Each place is very different, (laughs) despite being so close in proximity and they have their own, their own things to offer. Um, Indiana was a great place to go to school because it, it was very kind. Like it's a very gentle, almost like, it's even more friendly than we are here in Ohio. Um, (laughs) It's quaint. It's, adorable in a lot of ways and it was just good for me because I was in such a, a fragile state <laughs> like, just personally I was in a fragile state and it happened to be a very gentle state to live in and I think that if I would have gone to school anywhere else that I perhaps would have been swallowed up a little bit in trying to compete with other people or um, just the general college mindset whereas here like people were very comfortable with me they, they were very welcoming and they let me into their lives and, and kind of ushered their way into mine. And so yeah. I, I was very much formed and shaped by people. And I found that a lot of my very good friends are from Indiana. Um, I think that Ohio in general, as mentioned, um, it's basically where I got my start. <laughs> now I was raised. And I think there are things here um, that are very, very apparent. Um, having, having some sort of manners, being friendly with people, um, kind of having a litmus test for how I deal with the world. I find that Columbus, where I live right now, is is an interesting city because it attracts people from all over the place, and it's almost like a revolving door. We get all these very exotic people coming in, and then we have other people leaving to go do exotic things. And so sometimes I've met people here. Like I had a friend I met from Argentina here in line at an ice cream shop, and he turns oh, around man. and starts talking to me, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to talk to you. And we talk for several hours and his wife comes over and meets me with their baby and we just, we hit it off really well. And he's like, you know, I, you are the first person I've met where I have felt I can talk to them 
you know, in Argentina, people are so friendly and here they're so cold. And mm. I was just like struck by that as such a concept because people come here from New York and they're like, I love everyone. Right. <laughs> it's, <amazing. laughs> it's, this, it's this interesting, like almost moderate point for people and just seeing where they come from. And it, it's helped me to understand people I've met here better. Um, in terms of Pittsburgh, I feel like it's this old familiar kind of city where it it kind of calls to me, and I don't know if it's calling from my roots, that it's very much built like an old world town. And I know this because I've, I've been fortunate to go to Europe and have seen some of the houses built on the sides of hills and the cars that are just kind of scrambling up and down it like ants on a <laughs> yeah. jam jar. You know, it's such a fascinating place filled with all this old charm and, and these beautiful old buildings that somebody has actually thought to continue using and to repurpose. And so I love that city because it, it's kind of um, a bastion of old things becoming new again, hmm. like almost like a rebirth. And the city itself is experiencing kind of a population boom and rebirth at this moment. So I think that's a highly appropriate notion for them. Yeah, but hmm. yeah I've, I've been all over and I've loved everywhere that I've been for different reasons. Definitely Indiana, the, the people and the, the mindset. Um, Ohio as just like a touch point for other people. It's very much that standard i guess and maybe it's just because i know it and that's neat yeah it's it's fascinating i love this area huh and you are an international traveler with your work isn't that right yeah i am that's so cool (laughs) it's really hard to say that (laughs) that's so cool um so what have you learned from your experiences in other countries with your work oh my goodness (laughs) just a few things maybe things that stand out to you yeah yeah um I have learned that our food standards are very lax here. (laughs) Very, very lax. On top of them, I've kind of become this self-actualized foodie where I loved food but didn't realize how much I loved it until I started doing this this job. (laughs) But it's fascinating. Um, Part of why I get hired to go places that are not here is because people are so impressed that I make the food look appetizing, but it's not doctored in any way that's not natural. Like I really strongly want to use the actual food forms Hmm. as my pieces. And I guess here, you know, we're willing to throw like boot polish on a burger and do all this (laughs) crazy stuff. And in some places, for example, like Canada is a big one. They're not allowed to do anything to, to their food. It has to be exactly as it's served. There's this very famous, um, court case that um, one of the stylists was telling me about on a job up there. She said that Campbell's was sued because it somebody had found out that food stylists stuck marbles in the bottom of soup bowls to raise the particulates in the soup so that you could actually tell it had chicken and oh my vegetables and things in it. And it was a very common practice. Everyone was aware of it, but it wasn't publicly known. And once it got out to the public, somebody sued them and won. Because they're like, of course there are no marbles in here. So now they have to have three times the amount of particulates that they Mm. use to show these soups. But they can't show all of it because if they show all of it, it looks like there's too much. They can get sued for um, assuming that, you know, there's too much in the soup. Wow. So it's just this crazy concept, you know. Um, That's that's interesting. I'd never thought about how the the way you use the food would affect the product sales of that food because you you know i mean obviously you see a like you say you see boot polish on a burger and you're like that doesn't look real but but i'd never thought about on the positive side of like well but if we put too much good stuff in here to take a good picture then we can't sell it because it's it's too much product for people yeah 
Exactly. And it's just, it's fascinating because for me, the idea of boot polish on a burger and hairspray on salad, it was a given. Like that's just mm-hmm. what we do. But I realized that not everybody else does that. We are mm-hmm. very much um, into idealized shopping. And of course we get this burger and it looks like the bottom of an actual shoe, <laughs> but we don't care if it doesn't look like the image, whereas they care very much that everything mm-hmm. is properly represented. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was very interesting and spoke to the difference in our values being so close to each other. We're obviously different in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, and also just um, the human relations aspect of travel. I did some work in Dublin this past year and was really excited to go that far to do some of this work in person. And being there, it was fascinating. I learned um, that dad humor is basically the standard humor. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fascinating concept. (laughs) Um, Sexual innuendo is very commonplace in the workplace. I was really Hmm. surprised by that. And I guess the city is very homogeneously white. (laughs) And so therefore, like, any mention, like, just telling them that my sister-in-law was from Ghana almost made everyone kind of, like, prickle up on it. Like, they didn't know what to do with it. They're like, oh, what is this? What is she telling us? Where is this going? (laughs) Like, you know, it was just very odd because... I live in a very um, heterogeneous area with lots of diversity and lots of sure. different ethnic groups. And so speaking on those sort of subjects, it's just like, oh, yeah, there they are. Hello. <laughs> Surprise, we're all together here. But it, it was just fascinating, like, learning that about, about a, another culture and seeing, like, oh, they're on an island. Like, there are no people of other ethnicities here. It's very, very few. And mm. so their reference point for this is very, very limited. It, it's fascinating. I love travel. I feel like it opens my eyes to not only how I perceive the world, but how everybody around me has been taught to perceive the world. Yeah. And seeing that there is such a broad expression for how people can live. Like, I'm fascinated that there are people who, in my humble opinion, are like on fire in a ball of flames, and yet they still exist. Yeah. <laughs> and they're existing well. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> crazy no that's that's really neat so within your uh within your trade you use the term food typography but you also mentioned food stylists and so forth do you feel like you have a lot of competition in the work that you're doing or is it is it a pretty narrow market or or do you get into like the advertising or uh, could you just i mean kind of briefly describe the difference between people who do it for like you say the campbell soup or whatever uh but then you're doing some some professional marketing also and then you do a lot of it just as artwork correct so how mm-hmm. does that how does that correlate as far as the sort of competitiveness within that field? Um, it's a very small niche, which is really nice or niche. <laughs> no, on... no, it's niche. It's niche. <laughs> Midwest niche, please. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very, very small niche. Um, and I'm happy to, I'm happy to have kind of cornered that market it's, it's very much a blend of illustration and design, styling, photography, because mm. the photography is the vehicle for the work. No one would know it existed unless I could take a, an appropriate photo of it. Yeah. You know? And so the photo itself has to be decent. I enjoyed photography in school. Um, I was very attracted to it, but not to the sticker price because it's always insanely expensive and mm. it's based solely in in hardware so it's like oh no how do i secure this hardware it's so yeah. expensive i'll make a box and a pinhole and figure <laughs> this out <laughs> but 
Um, it's fascinating because at one point this past year, um, I had experimented uh, with becoming more of a stylist or marketing myself that way. And I learned that being a stylist, like a food stylist, is essentially like a bitch job. Nobody wants to, <laughs> nobody treats you with respect. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, you get paid very marginally by comparison. Um, you're invited into the process after all of the decisions have been made mm. um, conceptually on the piece. And so at that point, it's like, well, wait a second, that's the wrong spot for me. My role is technically more of an art direction role. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I should be involved in the discussion. Um, I should be involved in the concept and, and conceiving it. And I should be brought on before the photographer shows up. Usually when, I, when a photographer tries to source me, I know that it's likely I will not end up with a job because at huh. that point, they're looking for the wrong person. They're looking for someone to execute a piece of meat or a pie and... <laughs> that is part of my skill set and I tell people that's part of my skill set but really I'm offering a little bit more than that yeah. and so yeah that's been an interesting distinction to make this year and it's been it's been a little bit of a struggle because I've lost work having to explain myself and then go hey I'm really sorry it seems like I'm not right for this anymore oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah it's it's a very interesting thought um, as far as the idea of like food typography, it's basically a misnomer. Technically, this is lettering um, <laughs> because it doesn't follow a font or it doesn't in any way create strict font guidelines. It's not mm -hmm. really reproducible. Um, but in order to get some sort of broader reach with my audience, I figured more people would understand the word typography than they would lettering. It's sure. a larger community and appeals to the design community as well as other people outside of it. So that is why I named yeah. typography essentially the way that I have. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I found that as I've been doing this, people are, are impressed with like the fact that I choose new material every time. And so I'm not just working in pulverized substances or spaghetti or mashed potatoes or whatever. I've, I've tried a lot of different things. And because of that, people are willing to approach me with non-food related items. And so... I've been using a lot of um, physical and dimensional type objects like paper and um, plants. I did that recently. Hmm. Oh, wow. Sheets. It just, I've had people approach me to light paint. I've always wanted to do it, and it just never worked out with the schedule. But the fact that someone sees my thought process and goes, that person is hardworking, they're up for a challenge, and they will try anything until it's right, that makes them want to approach me with these new concepts and I'm so excited about those. Those are my favorite kind of job proposals. Hmm. And what about like competition? Like um, people <laughs> who even like infringe kind of on your like aggressive competition, like over the line kind of competition. Oh man, there are a handful of those. And I, <laughs> it is in fact, it, it is a huge compliment because it, I never thought I would have work that anyone would want to reproduce. <laughs> like I never ever saw that possibility for myself. And if you would have told me, I would have laughed at you. So it's it's interesting to see, um, but it is extremely frustrating. As mentioned before, there's this ironically misappropriated T.S. Eliot quote that talks about bad artists stealing. And oh yeah, one, right. Yeah, one of the points to that that often gets lopped off because it's too short to fit on a t-shirt is <laughs> that um, immature artists take concepts that have been made by other people and they 
don't add anything to them. The mature artist is the one that borrows ideas from other people, but they turn it into something new so that it's different than it was before. Uh-huh. And hearkening back to that last point in our conversation of like, if art is a physical snapshot of your thought process at one point in time and somebody replicates it later, even if technically it's done better, it was your thought from however long ago. Mm-hmm. That thought is old and it's moving on to something new. Um, and so that, that aspect is frustrating because my story is obviously like laden with tears and woe and all of this like despair. And it took me such a long time to arrive at these ideas. And even though these ideas themselves aren't inherently mine, like people have done this before me and they will continue to do it after I put it away and yeah. don't think of it anymore. There's still an aspect to my work that is characteristically me in the same way that you go look at oil paintings and you go, that's a, that's a Monet. Mm-hmm. And I know people who look like Monet, but it's not Monet. Right. It's, it's a similar issue. Yeah, well, and I, the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think in part, um, there's a need in all of us when we're trying to learn how to do work, where we have to prove to ourselves that we can do things. And so we'll try anything. And sometimes it looks like someone else's work. But then there's a point when we realize, I don't need to do everything. I need to do what I want to do, or I need to follow my own thought process Mm. in doing things. And that is kind of when we make the shift from, you know, everything is possible to, I want certain things to be possible. And I think that's, that's a distinction that not everybody is able to make. And I'm not sure what kind of, if that takes like a higher form of self-awareness or what that is, (laughs) but it's Mm. not super clear to everybody. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes you just look around and you say, you know, there's, there really is nothing new under the sun. Like all the raw materials we have are the exact same things we've had for a very long time, but it's what we bring to the table. It's the growing up in the blue collar town. It's the gallons of chocolate milk we drank. It's the, you know, whatever, (laughs) like, you know, you, whatever you bring to the table is what ultimately, when you take those same materials, I could take you know, a bowl of rice and try and do something unique. And the only reason it would be unique from what I bring to it, from what you bring to it is we're using the same rice, Mm -hmm. but it's my experiences or my skill with being able to, or in this case, lack of skill, being able (laughs) to do uh, any lettering or, or typography with it would be, you know, apparent because that would be a piece that I bring to it. And that's what makes it art. And that's what makes it unique. And that's what makes it the creativity. Like I, I love that aspect of it because yeah, you know what, I can go buy a camera and take pictures the same as someone else, but when, uh, you know, one of our uh, guests, Christian Gideon, picks up a camera and takes a picture, he brings something that's so beautiful and unique to it because he's had all this time to just develop his particular area of the craft. And that that's what I love most about these, you know, like we talked earlier about someone who's traditionally creative versus someone who... Uh, does something that is is just very expressive in their creativity is it's it you roll up all your experiences and you take it you bring it all to the table and that's what makes it unique you know it's and so that's encouraging to everybody you know and so if you were to look back and and talk to your your younger self uh and and say you know like kind of that you know you can do it just just hold to your guns, you know, and, and keep chasing it. Don't worry about the price of a camera or whatever else. I mean, it, have you thought about that? Like, what would you, I guess you are kind of in the way that you speak to other people and you say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're wanting people to, you're kind of like paying it forward a little bit and helping them with their beginning. But, uh, what would you, what would, if you were looking back, what would you, what would you say to someone who was starting kind of where you started or trying to make it to that next hurdle? 
Oh, I see. Oh, man, that one's difficult because I try to kind of, as I'm talking to people, figure out where they fall in this line of, like, where it took me, uh, like, where I was and the thought processes that it took me to get to where I am now. And that's not to say that everybody will follow a path that I have made because obviously everyone can. Right. Everyone can find success or what they believe to be a measure of success in various ways. Um, well, if I was speaking directly to myself, I would say you should not have worn that sparkly blue top <laughs> past like fourth grade. So put that away. <laughs> but besides that, um, Amazing. <laughs> and I would, I would encourage myself to find that balance of like not taking my work so seriously and having fun with it. I found that. Hmm. That was, that was a big shift for me as well, is realizing that, like, while my work was super important to me, people weren't going to find it very important to them. Um, and once I kind of had that realization of I'm a drop in a bucket, it essentially freed me up to, to be comfortable to explore and to be like, well, how can I make this drop in the bucket a little bit more meaningful than the last one? Um, I think that... It's important to try a lot of things, and oftentimes um, we get really excited about chasing our passions. Like that's such a buzzword right now. But for me, I was always frustrated by that phrase because I didn't know what my passion was. I knew that I was interested in drawing, and I knew I was interested in design, but I didn't know how either of those fit together, yeah. and I didn't know with what subject matter and what kind of vehicle that work would require. And so, for me, I found that like by doing a bunch of stuff, I did identities and logos and. Um, I played around with like nice printing or unusual printing and I just, I couldn't find what I liked, but I knew what I didn't. And I think that sometimes that can almost be more helpful because you're less inclined to get stuck somewhere that you, well, we're okay with, hmm. you know, like eh, I can, I can handle this. It's, it's almost like you, you kind of start funneling yourself yeah. into an obvious category. You just don't know what that category is yet. Hmm. You know, I, I can't think of a better way to, to wrap that up than what you just said. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it's it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Danielle. We've we've so appreciated uh, you making time for us and telling us so many details that we wouldn't normally get, uh, you know, at a at a conference or or by just looking at your work. But I do, you know, I hope people check it out because it's it is really unique and and the flavor you bring to this is is just so cool. So, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you both. I appreciate it. Yeah. You can get to know Danielle by visiting marmaladeblue.com, and you can see some of her beautiful work there. Uh, you can also follow her on Twitter at marmaladeblue. Uh, and you can also learn more about this show by visiting spiritofthemidwest.net. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us next time as we celebrate the spirit of the Midwest. 